Welcome. You are listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. Well, if you've got your Bibles today, and I hope you do, uh, if not, it's okay. Scripture will be on the screen, but you can go ahead and get them open to the book of Romans. And today we are going to be continuing our series called What He's Done by talking together about Romans, end of chapter 9 of Romans and the whole of chapter 10. The message that I want to be teaching today is entitled Understanding Our Responsibility. And again, it's from chapter 9, verse 30 through chapter 21 of verse 10. We've been in uh, this series called What He's Done, and this series is all about the gospel. It's all about the good news. We define the gospel as the good news of what God has done in Jesus Christ to save all who trust in him. This book is a good news book. From start to finish, it's meant to declare to us the good news of who God is and the good news of what he's done for you. And I do pray this morning that you know that he is good and what he desires for you is good. And I do pray this morning that you would trust in Jesus who he has provided in his grace for you. But we've been talking again and again about how the gospel is both foundational and transformational for life with God now and forever. And our theme verses for this study have come out of chapter one, verses 16 and 17. If you've been here, we've been working on memorizing these for months, and so um, hopefully you don't need the screen, but if you do, it's right here. Let's say these together. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. For as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The book is a well-organized book. Um, In the first eight chapters, we get introduced to these wonderful gospel realities of Jesus Christ. And then in the last four chapters, we have opportunity to really understand wonderful gospel applications, the ways in which the gospel changes our life. But right now, we are in the middle of chapters, this middle section, right? Chapters 9 through 11. Talking about, Paul takes an aside and he says, I I just want us to stop basically and consider the wonder of what God has done in salvation. And really, The goal that he has in these chapters can be summarized in those verses at the end of chapter 11, which I described to you last week as we were getting into this new section. Because the end of chapter 11, starting in verse 33, Paul says, oh, the depth and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. And to him be the glory forever. In other words, there comes a point as we peer in to understand the wonder of who God is. And some of you this morning you've got big questions about who God really is. And you've you've got a big heart to really want to know him more. And I'm so thankful for the thinkers in our midst that want to know God's more and, and have a heart to understand more of who he is and how he operates. But Paul wants us to understand that as much as we get constrain our minds to comprehend who God is, there comes a point where we where we just have to surrender our hearts and go. At the end of the day, I, I, I have to just go, I, I can't fully comprehend how wonderful he is. I, I, can, I can comprehend him to an extent, 
but there's also a limitation to which I can comprehend. And God is so much bigger, so much more able, so much more wonderful than any way that I can even understand or describe. And we have to just come to a point in our, in our faith journey where we just go, wow. And we just have to wonder. We just have to wonder at God. That's the point of these chapters. For us to, to walk through the ways in which God has saved and for us to just get to a point where we go, wow, like look at the wonder of God. Now we talked last week about Romans chapter nine and the, the strong ways and sovereign ways in which God saves. And if you only looked at chapter nine, you might be led to think, well, it's just all God. God just chooses nilly-willy who he's going to save, and, and we don't really have anything to do with it. But that's not at all the truth of the scripture. Yes, God is sovereign over salvation, and we looked at that last week, but as we're going to be seeing this week in chapter 10, we also see in the wonder of how God saves, while he is sovereign, we are also responsible So today, as we continue our journey in these chapters, we're going to continue in our journey toward worship to go, oh wow, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. So if you got your Bible, we're going to read the text from this morning, Romans chapter 9, starting in verse 30 and reading through chapter 10, verse 21. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. For as it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those 
who preach the good news. But they have not all believed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. And with a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This is God's word. Well, today, you guys, um, take a deep breath. It's a big passage of scripture, kind of complicated. Anybody in the middle of these chapters reading Romans 9, 10, or 11 go, that's a little complicated. Anybody? Yes. Um, It is a really complex um, set of chapters of scripture of this book of Romans. And this morning, though, what I want to do is to help you better understand it. Because I'm telling you this morning, um, I don't want your eyes to glaze over, kind of like a Gibson's donut, okay? As we um, study this text, because this text is intended for your good. God wants you to understand his word. I want you to understand his word. And he wants you to understand how it is possible to have right relationship with him. He really wants you to understand it so that you can receive it, so you can really know him and live in right relationship with him and help others to know him too. And last week we looked at how big and strong and powerful he is in the work of salvation and how we need to be humble before him and grateful for how he dispenses mercy, we do not need to take his grace for granted. But as big and strong as God is today in the passage, what I want to show you is, while he is strong to save and merciful to save, and we need to humble ourselves before him, there is a response that is needed for us to be saved. And so this morning, our our main point, and I'm gonna try to Make today's outline very, very simple for you. The outline is gonna just basically follow this main point, okay? But the main point, I want you to try to write down or find a way to understand it, remember it, because if you can get this, I really believe you can get the heart of Romans chapter 10. The main point of the passage of our focus today is that the gospel, in other words, the good news of Jesus Christ, requires a response. The gospel requires a response, and I'm talking about a response from you, from anyone of us. Believing in Jesus is essential for salvation, and we should therefore trust him completely, and therefore share the gospel urgently. So the main point this morning, we're gonna walk through it phrase by phrase, is that the good news of Jesus Christ requires a personal response from you. If there's anyone gonna be made right with God, it's gonna be because a response is given in faith. The gospel requires a response. And believing in Christ, a response of faith, is the only response that will save. Which then turns into two natural overflows. So we need to be sure that we believe in Christ. That is absolutely essential. If a response is required and believing is the only response that saves, then we need to believe. But also, the other overflowing response is, and we'll get to this as we go through the text, that if we know that believing is necessary, then we should be looking at every person that we come across in our life with love. 
and helping them to know who God is and to know how God saves and urging them to believe on Christ too. That's the crux of the passage of our focus today. Everybody understand? So we're gonna walk through it little by little as we go through the passage because I want you to see this main point in the text for yourself because my desire is not to put something into the text but to pull something out of the text for you to be able to see it. So I want you to see it in the text. So point number one, a response is required. And I get this from verses 30 to 33. I said it in the main point, the gospel requires a response. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue a righteousness have obtained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. Well, Paul starts in this section and basically goes, okay, you guys, what's so amazing about this is as we think about this, this offer of salvation, they're irreligious people. The people who did not have it together, the ones who, if you think about the parable of the prodigal son, the guy who walks away, basically gives a middle finger to his dad, squanders his dad's wealth, walks away, ends up in the pig pen, destroys his life, living in immorality, totally broken. These are the folks who we just go, oh my word, their life is a wreck. Those people, the Gentiles, the ones who the religious, moral crowd looked at and go, oh my word, oh, they're just such a mess. It's these people, the Gentiles, who have actually responded with the news of Christ, healing for brokenness, forgiveness of sin, new life from death, the offer of salvation, reconciliation with God. It's, it's the, the really broken people have responded and they've responded with faith. What shall we say then? Those who did not pursue righteousness, they've obtained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. And yet, verse 31, if you look back at your Bibles, but Israel, this is the religious crowd, all right? <laughs> These are the, the moral ones, the ones who have, he says, pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, the law keepers, the ones who worked really hard to have it all together, the ones who enjoyed looking better than others in other people's eyes the ones who felt very good about themselves with a lot of pride and disdain toward others. Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness. Interesting. They did not succeed in reaching that law. In other words, their response really different than the Gentiles' response. And the question, verse 32, ask is why? And it says, because they, what was their response? Did, did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. And it says here, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. So essentially, what Paul's pointing out is two types of responses. The Gentiles were able to receive it but the Jews were rejecting it. In fact, he says in verse 33, as it is written, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So there's two potential responses. Receiving it or rejecting it. And what Paul's pointing out is that in light of who God is and all that God has done, you have to understand that once you hear the good news of Jesus Christ, personally, you have a choice to make. How will you respond? Because what the Bible teaches is that response is needed. 
And not everybody responds in the same way. Some will hear the news of Christ and with gladness receive it with joy. But others will hear the news of Christ and in pride or stubbornness or rebellion or selfishness and a desire to continue in sin will reject the very thing that's needed to put us right with God. Will you be one who receives or will you be one who rejects? Will you be one who hears the word of Christ, a stone, and decides to build your life upon the foundation of that stone? Or will you be one who hears the word of Christ, a stone, and trips over it, stumbling over it, on your way to something that you're pursuing apart from Christ? Will you receive it or will you reject it? At the end of the day, a response is required from you. Now secondly, he says, as you think about this response, you need to know something. Only a response of faith in Christ actually saves. Only a response of faith saves. So I said in the main point, believing in Jesus is essential for salvation. If you read on in the text, we'll start back at verse 33 of chapter nine. He says, as it is written, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Whoever believes in him shall not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer is for them that they be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that a person who does the commandment shall live by them, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. I wanna go back, um, I'm gonna keep reading in the passage in just a second, but I, I wanna point your attention back to chapter 10, verse two. Because Paul says about them, I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. What Paul is saying here he speaks from his own experience. He says, I bear them witness, because this used to be Paul's life. He said they used to be passionate. But the problem with their passion was that it didn't compute with truth. Here's why this is so important. Faith in and of itself, does not save. Faith, for the sake of faith, doesn't save. Here's another way I could say it. It's not the zeal of a person's faith that saves. It's the object of a person's faith that saves. Believing, just believing, is not what makes us right with God. What makes us right with God is believing upon Christ. I love Cool Ranch Doritos. Is anybody, this is a very awkward transition, I know. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, whoa. Um, anybody else love Cool Ranch Doritos? How about sour cream and onion Lay's, all right? Okay, 
Anybody like double stuffed Oreos? I'm trying to name your guilty pleasure of a snack, all right? Whatever it is. Um, No matter how hard, uh, how, how much faith I might have that eating a double stuffed Oreo will help me nutritiously, will give me sustenance. No matter how many, how much I might go, oh, Cool Ranch Dorito. Would you, would you please give me vitamin D today? You know, whatever it is. That, it, this, no matter what size of faith I have for that to happen, it's just, it's just not going to happen. Because Cool Ranch Doritos, Double Stuff Oreos don't make us healthy, do they? No matter how much I desire for health from an Oreo, it's just, it's just not going to happen. It's not the size of my faith that matters. It's actually what I'm eating. <laughs> the object that I'm putting my trust in for health is just never going to deliver. I can make that analogy about a ton of different things, Right? But you get the point. As it relates to being made right with God, we live in a day today where everybody loves believing. You know, you, you have coffee mugs. Believe, you know. Well, what are we talking about? Hope. Okay? Like, do we... Does hope, just hope and, and hope itself, or, or belief and belief itself? I mean, like, does that, is that really what God is looking for? And the answer is, well, partially. I mean, he does want you to believe and he does want you to hope. But you've got to understand that your belief and your hope have to be directed toward Christ for them to actually be effective in the work of God in your life to change you. Zeal in and of itself does not save. It's not the zeal of faith, but the object of faith. And what he's saying is Israel should have been aware of this. And yet, they somehow missed it. But in verse four, he makes it clear. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He's saying righteousness does not come through trying to attain the law. The way of trying to make yourself good enough to be right with God, that's over. There's only one way to be right before God and that is through Jesus Christ. And so if you're gonna have faith in something, you better be putting your faith in the right place. And then he speaks about how Moses in the Old Testament described that the one who does commandments shall live by them and there's nobody who can really live up to these things. And he describes here how nobody can go into heaven and pull Christ down and nobody can get into into the abyss and pull Christ up. There has to be something that only God can do. Salvation cannot come by human effort. There has to be a trust in the thing that only God can do. But the thing that only God can do, he has done once and for all in Jesus Christ. And that is why verse eight says, what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. In other words, the opportunity is near for you to to actually believe upon Christ. Salvation is near to you. And in verse nine, he describes how near it truly is because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. What does true faith look like? How is it directed? Well, it looks like here, 
a confession and a belief. These happen at the same time and in a heart, but a confession and a belief that is directed in a certain way. Here, with a confession, the confession is Jesus is Lord. In the Greek, this phrase Lord is the phrase kurios, that's a K, sorry for my sloppy writing. It is the New Testament translation for the Old Testament word Yahweh. I had some Jehovah's Witnesses show up at my door two weeks ago. They were out in my neighborhood uh, going door to door. They knocked. Anybody ever had an interaction with somebody on the door who's come to share a message with you? Um, They had some name tags on. That's how I knew they were Jehovah's Witnesses. And they said, hey, can we share some good news with you? And I said, sure. And... Um, we began a conversation, and essentially what they wanted to describe to me was the fact that Jesus was not the God, but he was a God, and we got into this interesting conversation around this, this very thing that Paul here in Romans 10, 9 was describing, and I kindly said to the group that was there on my porch, I said, I really need you guys to know that like, what you're believing in is not true about Jesus Christ. We are not gods along with Jesus Christ. Jesus, what they were trying to say was Jesus was just a son like the rest of us are sons and Jesus himself is not God. And I said, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible clearly teaches Jesus is God. Jesus is Yahweh. The New Testament translation of the Old Testament word for God, the one who was and who is and is to come is kurios. He's saying here, Jesus is God. Jesus is this, the eternal one, and he is the sovereign one. Uh, interestingly, this same word, kurios, is the word that Caesar used for himself. That he's Lord, like the supreme ruler. So the confession in your heart that God is asking you to make is for you to understand, though, that it's not any man that's a supreme ruler, you yourself are not supreme ruler, Jesus Christ alone, he is the name above all names, he is God himself, he is over all, Jesus is God, and he is supreme, and in your heart, for you to come to a place of belief, believing that God raised him from the dead, which is the declaration, not only believing who he is, but believing in the work that he's done. So for you to believe that God raised him from the dead implies that you believe that he died. So what Paul is telling you here, for you to be saved, you've got to trust in Jesus, the eternal God who is over all things, who came in love for you, and who did a work needed for you. He died for the forgiveness of your sins. He was buried in your place, and after three days, God raised him from the dead, demonstrating that he truly is God. He truly is the Savior. He does love you. His grace is sufficient for you. His work is enough. He is alive today to prove to you he is Savior and he is Lord. And you've got to believe in not only who he is, but in this work that he has done, God raising him up from the dead, And what he says is, if from your heart you believe this, you will be made right, and with your mouth you will be saved. This is parallelism. It's one and the same. So he's saying, if from your heart you're zealous in faith, but that faith is directed toward an object who is Jesus Christ, Lord of all, who has finished a work of salvation for you. If you look to Jesus and you believe who he is and you believe what he's done is enough for your salvation and you trust him, you transfer all of your trust and all of your hope to him, the Bible declares you will be saved. And even today, even today, you can respond to this salvation. And you can know what verse 11 declares is true. For everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. 
So the second point of this passage is that, so in light of this good news of salvation, a response is required, but you need to know that the only response that will save is a response of faith in Jesus Christ. So then, what we should do then is believe. And that's point number three. What we need to do then is to believe. And the wonderful news, the good news of the gospel, verses 12 and 13, is that every person, every person can believe. For there is no distinction, Paul says, between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What Paul is wanting you to understand is there's, there's no difference between you or the person next to you as it relates to the opportunity and availability of salvation for you in Jesus Christ. God loves you. It doesn't matter what your religious background is for the hearers in Paul's day. It doesn't matter if they're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're religious or irreligious. It doesn't matter if you're moral or immoral, good or bad. It doesn't matter if you have a lot of money in your bank account or today are just check to check. Or in status where all you can do is beg. It doesn't matter if you're black or white or Indian or African. It doesn't matter if you're old or if you're young. It doesn't matter if you're married or if you're single. It doesn't matter if you have a great resume and education or if you have nothing at all. It does not matter about any of those things because the opportunity for salvation is available to everyone without distinction, he says. For the same Lord is the Lord of all and bestows riches on all on the basis of one thing. It's not any of those things that we just named. The one thing that God is looking for is whether or not you will call on him. It's the only thing in your life that matters. Where is your heart? Is your heart depending on Jesus Christ? There's so many. There's so many who are depending on so many other things. You may be depending on yourself, what you can do for God. You may be depending on you know, the family you were born into. You may feel good about yourself based on the fact that you're an American or you have some money or you've been good at your business or you're well-known and well-liked in the community. You, 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 may, you may have hope in the stocks that you have in your account or in the good people that you have around you in your life. You, you may find security in the fact that you're a mom or you're a child or you're a husband or you're a wife. But at the end of the day, what God is saying is none of that other stuff matters. What I'm looking for is are you depending on me? What God, God looks into our hearts, friends. And he wants to, he's looking to see where are we depending? Are we depending wholly upon Christ? Do we know that we know that we are broken and needy and that only God can save and he has chosen to save through Jesus Christ? Do we know that he can save? And have we chosen to call out upon him? And what the truth of the Bible is, the good news of the scripture, he says this is available for everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. You don't have to have anything else going right in your life. You don't have anything else the world says is, is like needed. But if you have a heart to call out to Jesus, 
The Bible declares you will be saved. And so in light of this, we should trust him completely. And there's some of us this morning, you need to hear, you should trust Christ. (laughs) He loves you. But in light of this, knowing that a response is required and knowing that only faith in Christ saves and knowing that every person can believe, it also leads us to another response. And that is that every believer should share. Every believer should share. Verse 14, he begins the sequence of events. He goes, how then will they call on him who they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? For as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of Christ. I'll put up this little chart I don't know if you can see it, but hopefully you can. It's essentially taking the scriptures that we just read and putting them into a a little bit of a sequence chart because it's essentially what Paul's doing. He's saying what's needed in every person's life is to call on the Lord from your heart to depend upon Christ. Everybody needs to know that a response is required and the only response that saves is a response of faith and that is available to you today. You can trust Christ today. But he goes, but how does somebody get to this point unless they've believed? Unless they've had an opportunity to really understand the truth of Jesus and what Jesus has done. It takes time for a person to really understand and to, to grasp it and to believe it. So how can they call on him and who they've not understood, who they believed? And then how can they believe in him and whom they've never heard? In other words, how can somebody understand it if they've never heard it? And how can someone hear unless someone shares with them? And how could someone share with them if they are not sent to share? Therefore, faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Now, I could reverse this sequence. All right? Y'all ready for it? And essentially, you can understand then the way that somebody is saved. Here it is. First, somebody's senses has a heart, has a calling and a commission to go and be one who shares the good news of Jesus Christ. They share the gospel, and as they share the gospel, someone else hears. And as someone else hears the gospel, they come to understand and believe. And as they come to understand and believe, they get to a point where they themselves call out unto Jesus Christ for salvation. So what Paul's saying to us, he's saying is, if you know that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ, then how much should you be desirous to be one who shares the word of Christ with those who have not yet believed? And that's why he's asking you to recognize your opportunity and responsibility as one who has received the word of Christ, if that's you today, to be one who becomes beautiful feet. I don't know about y'all, I don't really like feet. I have never really seen a foot that I go, that is just so beautiful. (laughs) I don't care how much toenail polish y'all put on your feet or whatever, how many times you scrub it. For me, just 
doesn't work for me, all right? Um, just kind of weird. I think feet are weird, okay? In Paul's day, um, the shoes that people wore, almost everybody traveled by foot. And the shoes they wore were open-toed, typically. Um, I'm sure in that day, there weren't many feet that were very clean, all right? You go wearing open-toed sandals down a lot of dirty, dusty, muddy roads, and you're going to arrive um, with your feet looking pretty rough. What is it that makes feet beautiful? He's saying how beautiful then are the feet of those who proclaim the good news. In other words, how beautiful it is when anybody gets this right here and decides to be one that's a a good news messenger of the gospel. How beautiful is it when anyone anywhere chooses to be an ambassador for Christ, chooses to take the good message of who God is and what he's done in Jesus Christ and, and make that known. That, that gives you beautiful feet. When you choose to, in an interaction in your neighborhood, standing out on the sidewalk with your neighbor or sitting across from them at your table, when you choose to be one who just little by little, like, tries to make known the hope of Jesus Christ. When they get that diagnosis next door and they tell you about it, for you to say, I want to share with you, like, I, I, I have hope that goes beyond my physical health. And I just, I just want to talk to you about, like, what I know is true. And I just want to pray for you. I want to pray for you that you can hope in Jesus too. How beautiful is it when, when you and your patient interactions at your hospital or your clinic whether it's with a child or a teenager or an adult. And the opportunities that God has provided for you in those interactions to bear witness for Christ, to just choose to be one who would help those who you're serving through your skill set know that there is a God and that he loves them, that he gave himself for them, that there is opportunity for right relationship with him, for, for, for true hope, for true peace, for true life with him. How beautiful is it when you're on your campus and you're hanging out um, between classes and you're building friendship or maybe you're on the recreational field and you're just choosing to build a relationship with people who are really broken and really need Jesus and you're using the opportunities you have to make him known. Like, I, I could name all kinds of situations and scenarios, and I'm so thankful and proud of our church family for again and again and again choosing in opportunities that God provides to be a messenger for the good news of Jesus Christ. But what you've got to know is that people are not just saved by looking at our lives and going, well, they're really good people. People are saved. Yes, our lives bear witness, but people are saved when we open up our mouths and help people to know that salvation comes not because of our goodness, but because of God's grace in Jesus Christ. There's an old saying that says, share the gospel, and if necessary, use words. But I've got to tell you, it is always necessary to use words if you're going to share the gospel. <laughs> you cannot share the gospel apart from the word of Christ. I understand the point of the quote is to basically say, you know, live lives that bear witness to the gospel. And yes, that's true. But we all have to understand that something more is needed than just bearing witness to the gospel with our lives. We have to bear witness to Jesus Christ with our lips. People don't hear about the message of our brokenness and need and sin and the message of God's love and grace in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for the forgiveness of sin and his resurrection from the grave for new life forevermore. People don't hear that by just looking at your life. 
There has to be conversation about Jesus for people to understand who he is and what he's done and to have the opportunity to believe upon him and call upon him in the ways that you do. Think about your own story of salvation. I know for me, I would have never come into a relationship with God if it had not been for some people in my life, namely my grandfather, a couple of key influencers in my life that were in my church family that I was in growing up, and two key individuals when I was in my college years. I can name the people. I can name the moments that God used these people to share with me the word of Christ. And I can tell you that my response of faith came because of their willingness to share with me. If you think about your own story, I bet you could name the specific individuals that helped you to know, I mean really know who Jesus is and encouraged you to believe upon him. I bet you could share that in your story. Faith came in your life through hearing and hearing, not just in general, hearing the word of Christ. And aren't you grateful? Even in your heart right now, I bet you could say, just thank you, God, for, and you could just name the people who helped you to know Christ. And what Paul's saying is, if you can understand that about your story, that faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of Christ, then why don't you be that person in another person's story? <laughs> why don't you be the one who shares the word of Christ with them so that they might have opportunity to hear and believe. I really believe there are people in our lives today that God has put in our lives. There's some coworkers that you have. There's some patients that you interact with. There are some neighbors that God has placed around your apartment or around your house. There are some folks who you interact with on your journey and path of life. God has put people in your life intentionally, so that you might have the opportunity to share the word of Christ with them. And I just wonder, how are you stewarding that opportunity? Because what God is teaching us here about the way of salvation is that a response is needed. People need to believe upon Christ. And everybody has the opportunity to respond, but you have to understand that people will not respond in the Christ whom they've never heard. And you are one who is called to go and make disciples, to bear witness to Christ. So with your lips, I really would implore you, exhort you to consider how it is that you could share the gospel message urgently. How you could be a part of making Christ known and for some of y'all who've been wanting your feet to look a little better, here's your opportunity. To learn how to have beautiful feet is to learn how to live in ways to make Christ known. Every believer should share. But at the end of the day, verses 18 to 21 after all of this teaching, we see that while God is sovereign, we ultimately are responsible if we reject him. Verses 18 to 21. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, this is back at verse 16 where I'm starting, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? I'm gonna jump to verse 18 now. But I ask have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I asked, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I'll make of you a jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I'll make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I've been found by those who did not seek me. 
I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and an obstinate, a contrary people. The question comes, well, okay, so faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Well, maybe then Israel didn't hear. Maybe that was their deal. And and what Paul says is, actually, no, they did hear. He quotes here from Psalm 19, how God has declared his glory around the world. He's spread his message widely. Maybe they didn't understand then. Verse 19. But then he quotes from Deuteronomy 32, 21, and he goes, well, actually, no, they did have opportunity to understand it. God actually shows up to the Jews, and then he showed up to the Gentiles And if the fact that he showed up to the Gentiles should show you that he can't overcome a lack of understanding. Well, maybe then, verse 20, they weren't searching for God. But verse 20 says, no, because God had worked to reveal him. I've shown myself to those who didn't even ask for me. So then, If you think about that chain of events, where was the link broken? The link was broken, the fact that they had heard, God had sent the message to them, they had heard it, they had understood it, but the link was broken at that point of their responsibility to respond. He says of Israel, he says all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and a contrary people. He's saying, I have been longing for you. I have been holding out my hand a long time for you. I have been pursuing you. I have been desiring you. And yet, the issue is that despite my love for you and despite my longing for you, you have rejected With the response that's required of you, you have chosen to take your responsibility in this and to say no. Second Peter 3.9 says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance but that all should reach repentance. As we talked last week about election, election, in other words, God's sovereign mercy accounts for salvation. But what I tried to tell you last week is that non-election, not receiving mercy, not being saved, (laughs) that does not account for the lost. It's rejection of God. It's rejection of God that leads someone to not be saved. I say this to say, you need to understand that a response is required. But if you say no, do not blame God. Because God loves you. In fact, God longs for you. God has done everything needed to make possible salvation for you. He has given himself, what more could he give? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you. He longs for you. If you reject him, do not blame God. That is on you. Don't be a disobedient person. 
Don't be a callous person. Don't be hard-hearted. Don't be stubborn and foolish. Don't reject God. He's saying in this passage, response is required. Some receive him and others reject him. But the only way to be saved is to put your faith in Jesus. Not faith in faith itself, but faith directed in Jesus. Receive Jesus by faith. Everybody can do this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So for you today, believe in Jesus. Trust him completely. And also share the gospel urgently with those who have not yet heard. Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.